Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico education in every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Mandy Torres, the 2020 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as educators talk pedagogy and practice and even share lessons they have learned along their teacher journey. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. Educators, make sure to look out for my teacher-to-teacher email in your school inbox with information about the new educator evaluation system that the state will test drive in the upcoming school year. Before we get started, here is a reminder from the PED about the state's child care needs survey. This is Zach Chavez, the Civic Engagement Coordinator at the New Mexico Public Education Department, giving you a friendly reminder that you have until Monday, August 10th, to complete the New Mexico Child Care Survey. In partnership with Yearly Childhood Education and Care Department and the Governor's Office, the NMPED will utilize the information collected to support community needs and programming across the state as children head back to a new school year. Responses will be shared directly with local school districts. By completing the survey, you are helping us design services and supports for children and families across the state. You can access the link from the PED Facebook or Twitter pages. This week, I sit down with two amazing New Mexico teachers for a back-to-school episode. Ashley Nyman and Deb Minyard will talk virtual learning, communication, and even grading policies. Ashley is a fourth grade teacher at Enchanted Hills Elementary in Rio Rancho and has served as both a teacher ambassador and as a teacher representative on the Secretary's Advisory Council. She has 15 years in the classroom. Deb, who has 23 years in the classroom, is a National Board Certified Teacher at Pohake Valley High School where she teaches music. She also just happens to be our 2015 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Ashley and Deb will also share their thoughts on everything from how to start building relationships with students to teacher self-care. I think we need to take care of ourselves. I think we can get so easily focused on the needs of our students that will work ourselves right into dust. Um, And staying organized as much as we can so that, you know, we can be efficient as possible in doing our work. So put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with two of New Mexico's teacher leaders. Welcome Ashley and Deb to Veteran Teachers here in New Mexico. Today we're going to be talking about back to school and what that is going to look like in this new reality that we're facing. Uh, They will offer advice, talk about their own experiences from the spring, and maybe even share some of their own struggles. Ashley, if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your background, a little bit about yourself, and how you got into teaching. I've been teaching for 15 years, and um, I've taught, I initially started my career um, in the Four Corners area at Kirtland, New Mexico. While I was there, I got my master's in special education with an emphasis in TESOL. And then after that, I uh, transferred to Rio Rancho Public Schools and have been there ever since. And um, what pushed me into teaching was, I guess, a powerful teacher that I had. 
inspired me and that was my fourth grade teacher oddly enough or ironically enough and his name was Mr. Cordova and I think he was one of the first teachers that really made learning fun and I wasn't expecting to enjoy being with a male teacher because I had never had male teachers and so he did a lot to transform my thinking and made me love math and now that's kind of my philosophy I'm always trying to incorporate that growth mindset and pushing my students to embrace math and love it rather than be fearful of it. And so that kind of sums up who I am and, and how I got into teaching. Nice. And Deb, who is a national board certified teacher for us here in New Mexico, Deb, give us some of your background and your teaching story. Sure. I, I grew up in Maine, which seems like a pretty far place away from here, <laughs> um, but uh, moved to New Mexico. 18 years ago. I've been teaching for 23 years. I taught five years in Maine first and then moved here after. And I became a teacher because uh, my parents both are high school educated. They didn't go off to college. And for them, teaching was really like the most noble thing you could do. I think my mom would have been a teacher if she'd gone off to college. And I was really good at making music and it just seemed like a really cool combination to, to put those two things together. And then after I got my first like summer camp teaching opportunity when I was in college, I was hooked. And so I've been teaching high school band most of that time. I did one year of middle school band, but most of it's been high school. What instruments did you play? My primary instrument is the flute, uh, but I can play all of the wind instruments. I am a miserable failure at strings. <laughs> That's like a whole different game. <laughs> nice. When I was um, throughout middle school and high school, I started on the clarinet and then I switched to the saxophone. So, so I did music all throughout. And I missed you ever, it. You ever want to dust it off? You know where to find me. I know. I need to find, I need to like buy one. I think, I, I think it would be like, it would help with the SEL for teachers. Okay, so I'm just going to start right in. And um, Ashley, I'll start with you. So the most successful teachers are effective because of the relationships that they're able to form with their students. You know, as we're starting virtual, what are going to be your strategies in trying to connect with your students in this virtual classroom? And what are some of the biggest obstacles that you foresee happening? Well, I think for me, um, building those relationships is the most important thing. Without the relationships, nothing else will fall into place for you. And that's what leads to success. So um, my goal, and this will be the first time for all of us, um, you know, to begin relationships this way. So I've been looking up different ideas, doing my research, uh, research and I just imagine playing lots of games, uh, trying to spend time getting to know each of them and possibly scheduling time to do more small groups so that I, I do get to know each of them individually. Um, lots of icebreakers, uh, they're going to be nervous initially because all of us are out of our comfort zone right now. And so it's just going to be my primary goal to find different ways just to make that rapport and all of those relationships fall into place so that we can be successful. I think one of the biggest obstacles is having to start virtually. Um, you know, normally I would spend my first three weeks, as I call it, in Mrs. Nyman's boot camp where I teach them the expectations of what we're going to do in the classroom, where everything's located, my classroom management, basically. And so now I'm going to have to do things a little differently. And so I feel like I'll probably have to teach it twice because the first time will be virtually. And then hopefully after Labor Day, we will be in person. 
and um, then I'll be reviewing a different set of expectations because it will be very different than the virtual classroom, although I do try to follow the same thing because I think it should mirror one another. And so that's what I foresee happening uh, initially. And Deb, how do you see that happening for you at the high school level? Because you're going to have a lot more students. I'm assuming some of them are returning students, though, that you may already know. But still connecting with that many students, um, that seems like a pretty daunting task, I think, because I'm an elementary teacher. So, you know, for us, it's like 20, 25 students at a time. But for you guys, it's a lot more. I think it's going to take a lot longer in a virtual setting than we're used to doing. Usually, I'd spend a week on team building and icebreaking exercises and that sort of thing. Um, I think embedding it a little bit in every single lesson every day is going to be really vital. Um, I don't know what my total number count is this year. Mm -hmm. Last year I had 130, so I imagine it'll be similar to that. It's, yeah, I, I'm, I'll admit I'm kind of intimidated by being creative enough in finding ways to engage with students. You know, I, I attended a, a music conference a couple weekends back, and they were talking about doing things like connecting with your virtual background like for tomorrow's zoom find a, a virtual background that's basically a show and tell or a meme about whatever the subject matter is that we might be talking um, things like that i also plan to do an open zoom link twice a week which i'm calling lunch in the band room so that the kids can just kind of come and hang out and be social with each other virtually as we kind of continue through through that but yeah it's it's um it's actually one of my bigger concerns. I think I can swing almost any lesson plan. You know, we're, we're pretty good at planning and meeting the needs of our kids there. Like, I'm pretty creative in that way. And I'm really, I feel like I'm pretty confident at building relationships in my classroom, but how to break through the barrier of that on a screen. If you, got, if you hear any more great things, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know it's just, I, I can't imagine, because I'm on sabbatical right now, so I haven't had to be going through this. It's hard for me to, to understand what you guys are going through just because I'm not having to do it, which kind of makes me sad. Like, I wish I was having to figure this out with everybody. But I think also it's the, the home to school connection also is going to be huge. Really getting parents to be able to get online and help their children and help with those kind of executive functions, you know, like scheduling and, and making sure assignments get turned in. So what advice can you offer teachers about how to go about connecting with parents as well? Ashley, what are some of your strategies? The first thing you need to do really is establish the, your school or district needs to establish the platform that will be used. Um, I'll also be using the Remind app um, to communicate regularly. And one of the things that I did those last couple months of the last school year was I offered a virtual open house. And um, what I did is I laid out the expectations. I created some how-to documents to help support parents, troubleshooting, how to access assignments, that sort of thing. And I went through and showed them exactly what their children would be doing. What does Google Classroom look like? What will their daily assignments look like? Um, one of the things that was also very helpful was um, my team and I, my grade level team and I, we collaborated. And every Sunday night, I sent home what um, the daily, the weekly schedule was going to look like. So they had this menu in front of them, calendar, with different options and what they were required to do and what was a may do, and then some other activities they were able to do. That was really helpful for the parents who did work because then they were able to, like if we needed resources or materials, they were able to lay those things out for their children and their children you know, had access to that um, on the day we needed it. So I think being in constant communication, that's all parents want. And they're just as intimidated as the students are. 
And so I think daily communication, uh, check-ins, not just, you know, like a group, but that one-on-one -on -one because parents need to be heard. And sometimes, you know, they just, they need to know that they have that support there. And so I think that's probably the most effective way. And I plan to do that again this year. Deb, what kind of feedback did you get from parents about what happened in the spring? I think a lot of them felt very overwhelmed, um, kind of hard to handle it all, all at the same time. We have one teacher in particular on our school who's also a mom. She has three kids. That means 21 teachers, right, that she's dealing with with her three kids. And so just making sure that things are streamlined as much as possible, they would like um, flexibility and understanding on teachers' parts that not everyone can get on at the same time, or mom and dad might need the computer right now because they are also working from home. And, and definitely that communication piece that Ashley was talking about. One of the things I'm going to aim for this year, I will admit I'm, I'm not as good as I should be about contacting parents as often as I should, especially when things are going well, right? It's a terrible thing to say, but that's kind of how it's become. Um, so my, one of my personal goals is to do the regular email like Ashley was speaking about, but also to do it at a time that works for parents. I plan to survey the parents and find out what might be working for them and then use some extensions on Google Chrome to make sure I schedule those to go out when parents are expecting and needing it and can look, can take a minute and sit and review it as well. So I think as much as we're doing for our kiddos, we have to do for our parents right now. This is, it, it's really quite an insane time, to be honest. So we need to support everyone as best we can. And communication is key to that. I know one of the things that teachers have struggled with is what grading should look like. There have been many discussions about if we're grading at this point, are we just grading privilege? But at the same time, there has to be some accountability. How do you think that districts or even in individual classrooms, how should teachers go about trying to find a happy medium between that accountability versus this idea of grading privilege? Ashley, do you want to speak to that first? Sure. Um, well, one of the things that I've used for a long time in my classroom is my level of understanding, something from Dr. Marzano. We weren't allowed to give grades those last couple of months of school. And so what I did do though, to hold my students accountable was, we always talked about that, my level of understanding after each lesson, just to you know get that check, that was their exit ticket. And that also helped me to determine my small group later on in the lesson. And so after you know I presented the lesson, I'd log into Google Classroom to check their work. I use the level of understanding to provide feedback. So that was a four because, or that was a three because, and so on. And so that really helped the students to pinpoint where their area of need was in that particular lesson. And then they'd go back and correct it and resubmit it. For this year, I don't know what that'll look like, but I, that's something I'd like to continue doing because I've been doing it for so many years anyway, and I know it's effective. And I know students know exactly where they are, which is important. They, they understood how they were relating to the success criteria of the lesson. But that's basically what, what my plan is. And then I'll wait for further feedback from um, my district to determine what the next steps are for, for grading and holding students uh, accountable. And Deb, how do you see the, the grading working for you in your classroom? It's still a bit of a fuzzy picture, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. You know, we're, we're being told by PED that we can't count attendance and so um, unless they're physically in your classroom. And so that's always been, uh, most of my classes have been teaching music. I, I also teach music history and AP theory. So most of the work has been in class when you're present, 
not really homework based. So that's going to be a bit of a challenge. When we first went to shutdown in March, I was teaching AP music theory. It's not on my roster for this coming year, but uh, we instantly, thankfully, had set up a, a Zoom before we went to spring break. We were on spring break when the call came to shut down. And so that following Monday, when we should have been back in school, my AP class was right back into it learning. Not being able to do grades that entire time, I'll be honest with you, I loved it. I loved that it was straight up feedback. You know, kids would say, well, how come I got this wrong? And, and we'd have a conversation that I don't think I would have been able to have should they've been in class because so many times they see, oh, I got an 83, that's good enough next thing. Whereas without having that number there, it was it became important to them. But I think also kids in AP classes are not necessarily, like they're very super motivated. They're, they would want to have that feedback. T to consider as well with regards to grading privilege, my school district didn't really have any kind of technology that we were teaching with before we went into shutdown. So the student Wi-Fi was turned off during the day. We were not one-to-one. -one. We had a couple computer labs for people to sign out, teachers to sign out if they needed it. Uh, student devices were not allowed on campus. A cell phone signal was terrible there, um, even on a good day. And so really the, there was a super steep learning curve. And, and all of a sudden our school district bought, I think 1300 Chromebooks and had to get those distributed. And then we had to figure out how those kids needed Wi-Fi. So being in this relatively rural location, there were some kids I didn't see because they just didn't have access to Wi-Fi or they didn't have the Chromebook until too late, et cetera. So I stayed in touch with them via phone calls. But if I had to grade those kids, if that had been, granted it wasn't, but if that had been part of what PED had said was that we were going to grade those students, it, it would have, a lot of kids would not have done very well. And that's just not equitable. We're still trying to figure that out on my campus is how do we grade? How do we hold students accountable and still have learning take place. Mandy, can I add something to what she just said? Yeah, absolutely. Which um, I like that you pointed out that, Deb, that, um, you know, your district, you had to just suddenly order 1,300 Chromebooks, whereas Rio Rancho and Colina Del Norte specifically, that's where I taught last school year, everybody had a Chromebook. We were very fortunate in that. And for me in my classroom, technology was part of the regular school day. So my students, this wasn't a surprise to them. They were very well trained and, and had the experience to be able to access Google Classroom because that was something we did daily. And so I think to hit on that, I think it's important, equitable, you mentioned that. And I think we have to make sure that all students have that same access and that it is equitable so that they're all successful and they're not losing a year of instruction or more. Absolutely. And as terrible as this whole pandemic has been, I feel like you could almost see that there's a silver lining for education. Inequities have always been there, but now the spotlight is shining on them and people are seeing them and, and we're doing we're doing something about it. And I think there's I just think there's so many opportunities for change, especially with grading. You know, what do these grades really mean? It should be more about meaningful feedback than it is about a number. So I think there's I think there's gonna be important conversations on a lot of things moving forward. Hopefully we can we can just change it, you know some of how education works because it doesn't work for everybody. So I think we really have to take a look at at some of these core things that are the foundation of our education system and see how we can make them better. So there's a lot of talk about priority standards and you know SEL taking center stage. And Deb, you have a unique view in being a music teacher, and it seems like some teachers in the arts and like PE teachers they've just been worried about having a job. 
I personally think that the arts are going to be more important than ever right now in giving those kids those kind of outlets. But how do you think it's going to work? Are you following that idea of just let's do the priority standards and let's focus on certain things? Or what are you focusing on in your classroom, Deb? Well, for me, it's, it's got to be the social emotional piece, because I think if we lose them in the first two weeks because we're not connecting with them, it'll be nearly impossible to get them back online throughout the school year. I think even when we were in school full time, the arts, at least for a lot of our students, is why they came to school. <laughs> you know, like I got banned today. All right, I, I'll go. I got this. Or even with sports, right? Like I got a game today. Okay, I'm going to school. I got this. Not that I don't want to imply that kids wouldn't normally, but it, it gives you that like extra engagement, that extra reason to be there. And I think even now that's going to be, that's going to be more needed than ever before. Um, I am aware of, of a couple of school districts in the state that have talked about eliminating their elective courses uh, to focus on the standards and focus on the core. And I just, I find that shocking I, of course, I'm completely biased being a music teacher, but, you know, I, I just see, in my opinion, it's the core of everything, right? You can connect everything to music. You can connect sound waves and you can connect math and you can connect art and all of these other things don't occur in a bubble either, right? Like the great artists didn't paint because they were unaware of the world. They created things that were part of their world and represented their world. And so I think it's absolutely vital that those things continue and they do touch on social, social emotional learning. They are a part of that. And I think if teachers and schools reach out to their fellow art and music teachers and other specials or whatever your title might be in your school district, I think you'll find that we are a wealth of information and can help blend things in ways that maybe we haven't had the opportunity to before. And how about you, Ashley? How are you gonna go about looking at your standards and, and figuring out what you're gonna teach right now? Rio Rancho actually selected last school year, I don't know how they'll do it this year, but we selected five essential standards for ELA and for math. And to narrow it down, it really helped because we had five weeks of instruction. So each week we focused on one standard. And if that is possible to do that this year, I think that would alleviate a lot of stress that teachers feel because there's, you know, oftentimes so much to cover. And in a classroom, it, it's much easier, even though it is challenging, but to do it virtually, um, to keep those students engaged, it is a struggle. And so narrowing it down was extremely helpful. And, you know, to hit on Deb's point, I think, you know, last week I provided PD on virtual engagement and those brain breaks, which comes from music, PE, art, are essential. The way we keep those students engaged is through the arts. And so I think it is crucial that we have that as part of our day. Um, it will look very different, but no matter how it looks, it's critical. And you know, I know for me personally, I'm one of those that incorporates the arts. I'm not an art teacher, but you know, for me, math, reading, I try to incorporate all of that music in my math because those are the things that help it stick. And that's what students cling to when they retain it when it's, you know, motion is involved. And so um, I think that's important. And if we can narrow things down, it would really help teachers and students alike. How are the teachers feeling in general at your schools when you're going into these meetings? You know, what are those meetings like? And how can teacher leaders help make an atmosphere a little more calming and a little more reassuring at this point? Deb, do you want to start? 
the meetings on my campus have been a really interesting mix of apprehension and it's okay, we got this. <laughs> like there's this attitude of we're gonna move forward and we're gonna figure it out and, and it's gonna maybe be a little sloppy on the way, but we've got this. And so I find it very comforting in general to be surrounded by people who are feeling pretty much exactly what I'm feeling. Like I am, I'll be honest, I am scared and nervous that I'm gonna misstep grandly and, and I will lose student engagement or I will lose student interest. And so planning, as much as we can has been a very good thing. There was a second part to your question. If you're like considered a teacher leader in your school, what do you think your role would be in helping to kind of calm and reassure other teachers in your school? I think my teachers are feeling more calmed when they're given specific resources on things to use, whether that's an LMS or how to flip your classroom or a virtual engagement, professional development. Like I, I think we're all, desperately looking for very specific things that we can use in a virtual learning environment. And so we're creating a uh, repository of sorts, uh, both in my professional music education cohort, as well as my schools. And so to be able to, to look through some things and, you know, if I'm a teacher leader and I've got some great advice and I can put it in some kind of a shared document where other people can find it and access it, I think that brings me a lot of comfort right now. I'm assuming the same for my fellow teachers. How about you, Ashley? What is the kind of feeling in, in your staff meetings and then how are you going about trying to reassure other teachers in your school? I think there's a lot of people who are feeling anxious and then those who are feeling very confident. But I think the way we bring it together is it's collaboration. And the only way we can get through this and persevere is to support one another. And that's going to be sharing resources. And, you know, I think there's just a plethora of resources out there. So trying to narrow it down, that's the challenge right now. But you know, one of the great things about technology, um, especially on a grade level team is Google Drive. And you know, creating folders and sharing resources that way. And then just you know, being there to talk to your, your colleagues and just put them at ease. And I think um, last year I was grade level chair. Um, this year moving to a new school, I won't be grade level chair. But one of the things that I did was trying to build morale by doing fun things, things not related to our work. You know, share your makeshift classroom, which even though that is sort of work related, it was fun to think about, oh, what did you make your bedroom look like? It's a classroom now. Or even what are the things that you're doing just to, to stay active and, and to keep your sanity? So I think being kind, being understanding, and just reminding everyone, we're not expected to be perfect. Every day is going to be different and we have to be flexible. But as long as we have each other, we're gonna get through this and we will be successful in those students will be successful. With everything that's been happening this summer in the news and around the country in regard to social justice, what are your plans or do you have plans to walk your children through what's been happening? Because I think that's all just adding, and maybe, maybe not the elementary level, maybe those kids aren't as aware as what's going on, but especially at the high school level. Do you have, I mean, maybe as a music teacher, you don't have those plans, but do you think that's important that we're walking kids through all this kind of social justice events that have been going on this summer? Oh, I think it's super important. And I think they're absolutely aware of it. And I think they want to be talking about it. 
um, especially teaching in a, well, I, I'm a white teacher teaching in a school that is majority uh, Native American and Hispanic students. And so it's absolutely vital that I include that in my curriculum. But doing that in music is, is there's so many opportunities for cultural relevance there and to talk about social justice. I mean, the history of jazz alone and how that moved exactly. through time. Yeah. So it's something I've always tried to incorporate, but I haven't necessarily been as focused on. I've more always taught it from a social justice issue than a, I'm sorry, I said it backwards, from a cultural relevance issue than a social justice one. And so to bring that more to the forefront and then allow for the students to have those Socratic conversations and to discuss what they're feeling and experiencing and, and what is out there in the world and, and making it relevant to their life and their times. Um, I think it's absolutely vital and important and has been overlooked for really way too long. What do you think, Ashley? Are you, will you attempt to address any of this with your kids or do you think they're just a little too young at this point? Uh, to some degree, um, but I, I do think it is very different at the elementary level, especially nine and 10 year olds. But I think one of the things that I always try to teach, and I am biracial, um, you know, respect, respect of all cultures and, and trying to incorporate bits and pieces of all of them into the classroom, into my lessons. And I've always tried to be mindful of that because when that takes place, the lesson falls into place and they learn and they feel valued. And for the last um, 15 years, I've taught um, students from Mexico, from Ecuador, Navajo students. And so I think it's, it's really helped me to be mindful of who they are and, and what matters to them. And so I will do it to the level that's appropriate because I think I do have to be very careful. And sometimes I think that might be more of a conversation that needs to take place at home. But when they're older, I think that is very different. But I'm definitely open to whatever my district is asking us to do because I think it's something we do need to bring awareness to and address it, but in an appropriate way. What is the best advice that you think you can give to other teachers as we move into this virtual world and this new way of learning? And either one of you can jump in whenever you're ready. I'll, I'll jump in. I, I think we need to take care of ourselves. I think we can get so easily focused on the needs of our students that we'll work ourselves right into dust um, and staying organized as much as we can so that you know we can be efficient as possible in doing our work, but recognizing when you're like for me at least, when I'm over the limit or when I need to take a break or you know, five o'clock is shut off time even though my to-do stack is 12 feet tall or whatever, just finding balance and maintaining my mental and physical health while doing or being the best I can for my students. I think that would probably be what, it's what I'm gonna try to remember. I hope others do too. You know, it seems like a lot of teachers didn't even take any time this summer because they were so busy trying to figure everything out and doing this professional development or that professional development. But I, I definitely think that's important, Deb, because I feel like it's just going to keep, it's not going to get any easier. And so uh, teachers burn out so easily anyway. And in, in this situation, I think it's just going to kind of speed up a little bit that process, but hopefully, hopefully not. And hopefully we don't get teachers leaving. That's one of my concerns too, is that teachers are just going to be like, this is not for me. Uh, I'm going to find something else. Well, really quickly, I just want to add, since you spoke to that, I actually am proud of myself because I spent a month and a half. I did absolutely no schoolwork. And so I truly gave myself a break and I feel refreshed, recharged and ready to go. 
But I think just like Deb said, you have to find balance. Um, I also recommend take up a hobby that is not related to your work. Um, and I think that'll bring you that peace of mind. It also gives you another outlet to take care of yourself. But um, one of the things too is I always think about sometimes we feel like we have to have all the answers and that we can't go to our colleagues or to admin. And I think it's just important to remember, go talk to that teacher down the hallway. Let them help you. Let your team help you. Embrace the help and don't be afraid to ask questions because chances are we're probably all wondering the same thing. And so, you know, just use your resources, which are the wonderful people surrounding you. I think a, another perspective too on what Ashley said about finding balance. I attended a wonderful conference in January and the guest speaker whose name I, I'm embarrassed to admit I've forgotten now, um, stated that finding balance in your life is a farce. It's an impossibility, it's a myth, especially as a teacher. And so really it's more about prioritizing imbalance. And I was like, oh, I like that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, if, that, if that rings true with anybody else out there who's listening, prioritize the imbalance as best you can <laughs> as well, whether that's using your resources or, or whatever, yeah. And you know, I wanted to add um, a calendar, come up with a schedule of what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, so that you do, you actually see it. And when you see it, you then are more likely to give yourself time like, okay, from 5.30 to 6.30, I'm not going to get on my computer. I'm gonna go outside and read a book. So I think, like, she, like Deb said, prioritizing and using that calendar. You've gotta set time aside for yourself. Okay, do any of you have any other last parting thoughts or anything else that you wanna add advice for teachers? I just want to wish everyone a wonderful school year and you know there's going to be some hard days ahead but we will persevere we will get through this and I think you just have to remember that each day is a new day and you're not being judged so forgive yourself and allow, allow yourself some grace along those lines as well it's just we need you so badly we need teachers in this state more than ever families need you students need you i need you <laughs> we all need each other and so if, if you're wondering if if you can do it or not you can and none of it's going to be pretty it's going to be pretty sloppy some days um one of my favorite quotes is to to be the best don't be the best in the world be the best for the world and that's going to look very different on very different days so hang in there you got this we all do I will echo Deb's sentiments that we need teachers now more than ever. We need to give our veteran teachers a reason to stay, and we need to encourage more of our young leaders to take a path toward a career in teaching. Together with leaders like Deb and Ashley, we can make a difference. Thanks for listening.